0: The following is a conversation between Amy Salep, Chief Executive Officer of Community Wealth Partners, and Denver Frederick, the host of The Business of Giving. Community Wealth Partners works with nonprofits and foundations to create strategies, implement them, evaluate them, and learn what works in pursuit of their missions. Needless to say, their guidance, direction, and support is in demand during the COVID-19 pandemic and to share some of their best advice. It's a pleasure to have with us Amy Celep, Chief Executive Officer of Community Wealth Partners. Welcome to the Business of Giving, Amy.
1: Thank you, I'm happy to be here. Thank you.
0: You know, before we delve into what's happening now, Amy, share with us the history of the organization and the kind of work that you do.
1: So Community Wealth Partners was founded by a nonprofit organization called Share Our Strength, which is a national anti-hunger, anti-poverty organization best known for its No Kid Hungry campaign. and Share Our Strength founded us in 1997 really to bring its lessons learned in tackling large-scale social issues to the sector more broadly. So we primarily work with nonprofits and foundations, as you mentioned, and the focus of our work is really helping those organizations develop strategies, implement them, evaluate them, and I will say that our vision is really a world where everyone can thrive, and Mm. I think that if you think about what's going on right now... We see that not everybody has the same opportunities to thrive, and really, this crisis is exposing the huge inequities in society. And so, I just want to mention that I think important to our work today, and always has been important, but today I think it's even more important that we have to face the fact that not all communities—communities communities of color, immigrant communities, etc have not had those opportunities. And so part of our work is really trying to help expose what some of those root cause inequities and prejudices and racism, et cetera, that have caused the situation that we're in now. So I think we're on a learning journey to do that and to do that well. But I think that this crisis for me personally, as the leader of Community Wealth Partners has only strengthened my resolve to get better at that. Our own journey to get better at helping our clients really get to the root causes of why is it That's certain. I think we know why it is in terms of our history of our country, but what is it that we can be doing to get at some of those root cause inequities?
0: Yeah, I've dubbed this the great unmasking because these things have been here all along, but we haven't seen them. And now they are out there and they're vivid and they're hitting us right in the face. So I agree with everything that you said. Well, you're in constant touch with these organizations. So let me ask you, Amy, what are you hearing from them? And is it different than what you were hearing maybe let's say a month or so ago?
1: I think depending on where an organization sits, what its mission is, I would say we're hearing slightly different things. But I think overall, I think that we are hearing a real desire by leaders to figure out how to best support their people through this. And I think Mm -hmm. that's really critical. Your most important asset is the people who are helping you deliver your mission every day. I was actually talking to Maurice Jones, who's the CEO of Lisk the other day. And he said, you know, I feel like we've had to up our game as leaders in terms of matters of the heart. I thought that was Mm -hmm. like the most beautiful way to say that. And that we're having to really think through how we support people emotionally. And I think good leadership does that anyway, but as he said, we're having to up our game. And so I think I'm hearing a lot of leaders talk about that. I'm obviously hearing a lot of leaders talk about being kind of overwhelmed and anxious and really trying to figure out how they plan when there's such uncertainty. Hmm. Talk a little bit about that at some point, but obviously scenario planning becomes really, really critical to that in terms of how you think about planning. I'm hearing organizations talk about how they've had to reinvent, adapt,
0: change
1: services, create new delivery models kind of on the fly. This term minimal viable product, which we hear (laughs) a lot about in the private sector, I would say is becoming really important in our sector right now as you're trying to adapt and create a new delivery mechanism very, very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, so I would say, like I said, it depends a little bit where an organization sits in the ecosystem, whether they're truly on the front lines, whether they're kind of more of an advocacy policy level. But I would say those are a couple of the, the themes that I'm hearing.
0: That is a great rundown. Let's take them one by one, starting with financial management, because, you know, in a time of crisis, sound financial management can make the difference whether you can make it or whether you don't. So what measures can an organization take to conserve cash, which they need to do now, and accelerate revenues?
1: So conserving cash, obviously, I think it starts with asking yourself the question of what really is our purpose and mission in this crisis? What should we be doing? What are we best positioned to be doing to support in this moment? And maybe what should we stop doing or not be doing right now? And really kind of focusing your time and your efforts there. And obviously that may mean reducing some expenses in certain areas as it relates to things that maybe aren't as relevant right now. And so I think that's one mechanism for conserving cash. I think the other thing is to look into the options available. So as we all know, a lot of organizations have applied for the Paycheck Protection Program through the stimulus package. And I think we want organizations to be cautious about moving forward with that and really careful and thoughtful about if that's the right move and approach for them. But I think it is a way to bring in cash to the organization potentially It is the form of debt, though, and it can be forgivable, but you want to make sure that if you want it to be forgivable, you're managing it properly, so it is forgivable. Yeah, you're right.
0: Exactly right. (laughs)
1: That's something that I've heard a lot about, and I feel like that's important for organizations to be doing. So I think that's really critical. I think on the revenue side, I think first and foremost, it's really important for organizations to be talking right now to their major donors and supporters, whether those are foundations or individuals whether it's through government contracts, whatever your main revenue sources are, because I think predictability and reliability of revenue streams is critical. And I think this is the time to be bold with your donors and ask the question, like, what are your intentions with our grant or your donation? What do you anticipate continuing to do versus what might you consider not continuing to do? Because I think that organizations need to be able to plan as best as they can. So you've got to ask the bold question to understand those intentions. I think in terms of, This is not really always the time to develop completely new revenue sources, although I think that we are hearing about some organizations who are, and what I mean by that is it's hard to develop new relationships with individual donors sometimes kind of proactively in a crisis because it's hard to kind of get people's attention, et cetera. But I will say that I think we are hearing about organizations who are kind of accessing new sources of revenue because either their issue is on the front lines and they're really communicating about it and raising awareness about it. And so more donations and resources are coming into the organization. That's what I'm hearing mostly from organizations that are meeting basic needs right now. That's really where the need is. And I think the other thing is there are some organizations that on the earned revenue side that I think are seeing some opportunities to think about how they begin or maybe not begin, but grow some kind of earned revenue source that they had that now is particularly important.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I guess all of this then leads to the scenario planning that you were talking about. You look at that cash, you look at those potential revenues, you accelerate them to the front part of the year if you possibly can, and tell us then how an organization should look at scenario planning and how they should leverage it and utilize it to to make the decisions that they need to make.
1: So, I think there are a couple of steps. I think the first is about gathering available data and in particular around the broader environment and what's going on and then really exploring in more detail and gathering data around those drivers that are going to affect your organization in particular mm-hmm. whether you're a foundation or a nonprofit. So, I think there is a data gathering phase. I will say that I think the macro economic information is helpful but it also is somewhat limited i think in its ability to, to really help you understand what's going to happen to your own organization so you really got to get down to what are those things that are going to drive your organization and i think understand and study those
0: that makes sense
1: i think after that i think it is about creating scenarios what are plausible logical stories that might play out and there may be many there may be four five six Mm -hmm. um, that could play out i think the key is to make a set of assumptions in each of those stories you obviously will be completely overwhelmed if you try to focus on is it the right story is it the story that is going to happen or not because nobody knows there's so much uncertainty right now so i think the key is just making a plausible set of assumptions and then really moving from there and say, under each scenario, what action will we take? If we start to see this scenario plan out, what will we do as an organization? And then the fifth phase that we at Community Wealth Partners really encourage people to think about is what are some of the indicators that you should be tracking on a regular basis to know which scenario is starting to happen? Hmm. You got to pay attention to which scenario is starting to happen. You can't just create the scenario plan, put it on a shelf and step back. You really got to be attentive to what are those leading indicators that are going to start to tell me what's happening so that I know which actions I'm going to be taking.
0: And what would some of those leading indicators be?
1: So for every organization, it's going to be different, but I will say it could be everything from if you're a community foundation, what am I starting to see in terms of donor behavior? In terms of donors, either increasing or decreasing their giving to the community foundation right now. So that might be a driver for your particular organization. And it's key that you really pay attention to that indicator and say, okay, well, that could have a big impact on your ability to go and grant more money to the community. So Mm -hmm. really being attentive to gathering that data about donor behavior and then using that to understand what's going to be happening in terms of your ability to give to the community.
0: And it sounds everything that you're saying there, Amy, is that there are very much more shortened time horizons, that you're looking at this at a regular basis because things happen so fast. And I guess the cascading can occur so quickly that you really have to have the pulse on almost a daily or if not at least a couple of days a week basis.
1: Absolutely. I will tell you, my executive team is meeting every other day.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: And part of what we do is we're tracking some of those indicators for our organization. So I used to meet with my executive team every other week. So (laughs) now (laughs) every other day is a big shift. And I was talking to a leader the other day. She says, my executive team meets every day in the morning. So Mm -hmm. I think we are seeing just more frequency of meetings between key leaders in an organization to really track that information and data. Time has become, I don't know, a big old blur amidst this crisis. And it does feel like things are moving at such a rapid pace. I mean, I was in a leadership position in this organization when we went through the 2008-2009 downturn, and that felt like it just kind of played out slowly over time. (laughs) This thing, I mean, it is rapidly rapidly yeah. changing and you've got to be looking at things very frequently.
0: Mm-hmm. You mentioned foundations a moment ago. How can foundations be really good partners to their grantees in these turbulent times?
1: Listen to them.
0: Good start. <laughs> That's the most important. <laughs> mm-hmm. And
1: I've been really impressed by um, some of the foundations that we work with who immediately were reaching out to grantees to say, what can we do? Please know we're totally flexible and open. We want to hear about what you need. And I think that is the first step is to listen and quite frankly, to take the proactive step of opening the door for the conversation. Uh I think it's also really important that program officers and foundation leadership encourage their grantees to be bold in their asks. And I say that because there is a power dynamic, as we know, between Mm -hmm. nonprofits and their funders. And I think that foundations have to normalize nonprofits and make it okay for nonprofits to paint that bold picture of what they need and to ask for the thing that's hard to ask for. And you can do that a lot of different ways, saying things such as everybody's in this situation. It is no reflection on your organization or your leadership. We understand. We want you to tell us what you need, even if it's something we can't provide, but we want your bold, honest opinion, I think you got to really work hard to make it safe for organizations to share that information.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's really good advice. What have you found to be the keys of being an effective leader in a crisis, one filled with this indescribable ambiguity and having to do it all in a virtual world?
1: I think the key... Well, for me personally, I will say, has been just being real, mm-hmm. um, recognizing my own humanity and imperfections in all of this, as well as the humanity of others. I think it's really important that we, again, kind of normalize for people that we're all moving really fast. We're doing our best to manage a lot. And it's not just work. It's personal. Your at home, working in not ideal always situations at home, <laughs> and to make it okay for people to make mistakes and, and to be human and to feel real emotions. I mean, I think all of that is the starting point. I think that's yeah. authentic leadership. And I feel like I've probably been more successful at it in some moments than others. I've tried to really share with people some of my own challenges in working from home, for example, and to be honest about that so that they too know it's okay to do that too. Yeah. yeah. Um, So I, I think that's part of it. I think in terms of the virtual world piece, having intentionality around connections with staff becomes really important. In an office, it's very easy to just kind of walk by somebody's desk and say, hi, how are you doing? As you're kind of walking to a conference room for a meeting, and that doesn't happen in the virtual world. And so We have done quite a few things where members of our leadership team have taken on kind of creating virtual lunches and snack breaks during the day on Zoom so that people can come together, be together. Our executive team once a week on Tuesdays has what we call an, an agenda meeting where folks can just come. And there is no agenda other than answering their questions or talking about things that are top of mind for them, things that they're worried about, things they're excited about, opportunities they see, whatever it may be. And it's just creating space for folks to do that. I also am very aware of the fact that in the normal course of doing my work every week that I interact more with some people and less with others. And so Mm -hmm. it's really important to then be intentional or reaching out to some of the people that maybe you haven't seen all week. Maybe they weren't able to come to a virtual lunch or the Unagenda meeting, and I haven't seen them. So I pay attention to that. I make my notebook and I try to reach out to those people where I can to say like, how are you doing? Just wanted to check in.
0: That's good, that's super, yeah. Really be inclusive in terms of making sure that everybody's hearing from you. That's wonderful. The other thing too is that you've been a, as this crisis goes on and on and on, and it's no longer a sprint, which we may have thought back in early March, and it is a marathon. You have been a tremendous proponent of self-care for Mm -hmm. leaders. And talk a little bit about that and why you believe it's so important, how people can practice it.
1: Absolutely. I know that I am not at my best when I am not paying attention to what I'm feeling and needing. So I guess the self care is really about if you want to do the best by your mission and your clients and your staff, that you have to pay attention to what. You're needing. I, I will say early on in this crisis, there was a moment for me in which I it was a Sunday and I was talking to my mom and my mother on the phone, and she just said, How are you doing? And I broke into tears and I realized that I'd been holding so much inside yeah. and that I needed a lot for myself that I wasn't doing.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: it was a really kind of pivotal moment for me in this, in that I feel like I was pretty good before this COVID-19 and doing the things every week. And I had my routine, my exercise routine, my time with my family, and all that got thrown out the window all of a sudden. And I didn't fully aware of it. Mm -hmm. So I think that the self-care is about just taking some time to do what centers and grounds you. For some people that might be meditation, it might be exercise, it might be reading a book, it might be taking a walk. Whatever it is that allows you to be in tune with what am I feeling, what am I needing for myself and then making sure you create some space for that to happen. For me, a lot of it quite frankly is time with my kids. We, we do several walks a day. It is exercise, which just relieves anxiety and stress. I just am better when I do those things. So I feel like everybody's gotta take that time to do that.
0: Getting off Zoom is a good way to start.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely,
0: It it is. So taking all this with your staff and your intentionality and your leadership, do you think that the organizational culture of CWP will evolve as a result of all this? And are there certain behaviors that you're now seeing say, boy, I would really like to take that back to the office and embed it in the way we operate and the way we do things going forward? So
1: Maybe there's two things I would highlight. I think the first is related to the equity conversation we were just having. About five years ago, we began our own learning journey around how to better bring an equity focus and lens into the work that we're doing. Mm -hmm. And as I said, I think that we've been growing and learning. We have a lot more to learn, but this crisis has really, really exposed and shed light on those equities. And I feel that this will only strengthen our resolve as an organization to address those. And I've even had a couple of team members come to our Unagenda meetings and share very specific ideas about how we can do that and how we can continue to grow and learn in this space going forward. So I I see it in our team and in our staff. So I think we were already on that path. But I think that this crisis, too bad that it takes a crisis sometimes, but I I think this crisis will accelerate or force us to accelerate. I think the second area is we have a value around kind of creating community in our organization, which is really about a community amongst our staff, but also kind of creating that sense of community with our clients. And strangely and interestingly, even though we're all in different places in virtual, maybe because of the intentionality we've had to have to connect with each other, I feel like my relationships, and I've heard a couple of other staff say this too, some of their relationships have deepened as a result of this. And I think it's partly because you're suddenly exposed to somebody really as a whole person. Their kids are coming into the Zoom meetings and you're, seeing those interactions and you're supporting those interactions. And so you're inside their house and you're suddenly having a conversation about it. And so I feel like, again, we already had a value around kind of this connection and bringing your whole self to work, but I feel this has accelerated that and that I want to continue to lean into that and how can we use this opportunity, frankly, to continue to lean into that. I think we are our best version of ourselves when we feel like we can truly be ourselves, our whole selves, whether it's the emotions that we bring, um, the challenges, the successes, whatever that may be personally or from a professional standpoint.
0: Yeah, I really think that's a great point. And I think we're gonna be more likely to cover for one another going forward because we understand the circumstances of everybody's life which we really did not in the office. And now you see it and you say, hey, they have that. So I think you're gonna see a lot more of that kind of sharing. Finally, Amy, what do you think the impact of this pandemic will have on the sector? First, as it pertains to how philanthropic organizations will go about their giving, and then how nonprofits will really have to operate in the future if they're gonna be able to thrive?
1: Oh, that's a big question. Number one, I hope that it strengthens the resolve of the sector, whether you're in philanthropy, nonprofits, a corporate program, a philanthropic program, to really address some of the major systemic kind of inequities that are being exposed, I hope. And I think that... It is our responsibility to keep shedding light on those inequities even after this moment and ensure that we are doing our best. None of us have the answers, but doing our best to continue to learn what it's going to take um, to address those issues. I don't have the answers, but I want to continue to learn what it takes. Mm -hmm. I think in terms of philanthropy, I am a big fan of... An approach called trust based philanthropy, which came out of the Whitman Institute. I don't know if Mm -hmm. you're familiar Mm -hmm. uh, with that approach, but it really is about how to create that kind of trust between a philanthropic institution and a nonprofit organization and There have been, you know, 700 plus grant makers, et cetera, that have signed on to a pledge to institute some of the practices that are part of trust-based philanthropy. And I want to see our sector continue those practices after this is over. That's what I want to see. I think that's going to be really critical to philanthropy if they want to have the impact that they want to have going forward. In terms of nonprofits, I think that key will be continuing to stay in tune with their external market and environment as it evolves. I don't think any of us can totally predict what's going to happen in the environment and the world around us as we go forward over the next year, two years, three years as a result of this. But I think that nonprofits that want to continue to offer really relevant impact, they're going to need to stay in tune to how the world around them is changing and how that's affecting them and what they need to do to remain relevant. And I will say, oftentimes it is the smaller grassroots organizations in communities that are really connected to and part of the community that I think are best in tune with what people are needing and wanting and desiring and their dreams and their hopes. And I feel like we need to, both as philanthropy and nonprofits, To elevate those voices, listen to those voices, and really make sure that we are giving some power to those voices and helping guide us forward in terms of what we need to do to address some of these deep-rooted issues and inequities. So I feel like those are my couple of thoughts. I
0: think they're pretty good thoughts, to tell you the truth. I think it was (laughs) Jack Welsh who said that any time that the world outside is moving faster than inside your organization, you're in trouble. And I think that was what you were saying about you better stay in tune because sometimes we're in those the answers are on the outside we stay inside but you better be moving at the same pace or you're going to be left behind and it's going to really change on the outside what resources do you have on your website for those who want to explore these issues a little bit more deeply or get in touch with you
1: so at communitywealth.com folks will see a link on our homepage that goes to some resources specifically meant for those who are kind of navigating this time and we have everything from some recordings of webinars that we've done on leading through a crisis. We're doing a webinar on earned revenue strategies in this time. When are they right? When are they not right? How do you think about it? We also have some blogs and articles on how do you think holistically about nonprofit sustainability? What does that really mean? It's a word that's thrown around a lot, but what does it really mean and how do you think about it? And it's not about sustaining an organizational or organizational preservation it's about how do you sustain the impact that you want to have which might mean by the way merging or spinning something off to another organization and that's okay but it's about how do you really think about sustaining the impact that you want to be having
0: really not about your organization you're saying it's really about the issue that you're trying to impact and you have to almost have yeah. to have that broader perspective about the people that are being helped not about how well are we doing?
1: Yeah, after the 2008-2009 economic crisis, we did some deep work with organizations situated in different areas of the social sector. And we studied some of them over a period of a couple years. And I think what we found and saw is that sustainability is about so much more than money and finance. Mm -hmm. Yes, money matters. I'm not saying (laughs) money does not matter, folks, but I am saying that it's about more than that. And at the heart of it, as I said, we like to define it as how you are sustaining the impact of what you do. Mm -hmm. And that requires being really clear, quite frankly, about what you're best positioned to do and where you can offer value. Also being really clear about what you're not best positioned to do and where you should not be going. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of times organizations that we found were in crisis mode were trying to do way too much and trying to sustain, if you will, the impact of many different things. It's like, what are you really uniquely positioned to do? And Mm -hmm. then making sure that your economic model lines up with that and is naturally supportive of whatever that body of work is that you're best positioned to do. And organizational capacity matters a lot. We do a lot of capacity building here at Community Wealth Partners. One of the things I will say is, When you're in a crisis, it's kind of too late to start thinking about your economic model and organizational capacity. It needs to happen before that so that when you hit the crisis, you're in a better position to weather it. And going back to the inequities, we know some organizations were in a better position as a result of the way funding tends to flow in our communities, sometimes to the the stronger organizations and not necessarily to the smaller grassroots communities that are really connected with the most marginalized aspects of our society, it is critical that philanthropy and those with the resources think about how do we prepare now and support those organizations in building their capacity in these areas in order to be able to weather a future storm.
0: It is absolutely too late. And you also have to hope that the lessons that are being learned here and are being heartfelt by everybody are remembered a year from now. Because you know how things happen when things get back to normal, we get busy and all that goes by the wayside. Somebody had suggested you should write a future letter to yourself one year from now and be sure that all the things you committed to yourself, to, to your organization to do now, you actually will do and not get lost in everything. Well, I know how crazy your days are, Amy. And I just want to let you know how grateful I am for you taking the time to share this information and these insights with us. Thanks very much and stay well.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it.